And we believe that as we're gathered, you are with us. Illuminate our minds, open our minds to see you more, to understand your ways, that we may be transformed as we look upon you. In your word and in fellowship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Please take your seats. Thanks to the worship team for leading us. Don't do a great job. That young man there, Billy, was just a boy when he joined us. Just a boy. And now he's a leader. He, he really does lead others in this church. How old are you, Billy? 18. Wow, I thought you were so much older than that. But not in a bad way. Just Okay, before I go into the word today, can I just mention the vision offering? Firstly, everyone say after me, we love you, Steve. Okay, we've established that, okay? Because I want to talk to you very straight and honestly. Some of you are afflicted with affluence. And therefore, you have a grave responsibility. I'm serious. That's to steward the resources that God has given you. And generosity is not about that you've got a lot to give. It's about how you steward the resources you have. You can be generous and not have much at all. But I've always felt this for our vision offerings. Our goal is 200,000 pounds. And every time we come to it, I've felt that 10 of us should give 10,000 pounds that meets half of that and the other 100,000 is given by the rest of us. Now, some of you have given 10,000 pounds regularly. The fact that you've done it regularly means you can do it again. Because if you've done it once or twice or three times, you must have it again to do it. So my only request to you, smile at me, is that if you know you're in that bracket and you've got it, pray, am I to give again 10,000 pounds to the vision offering and see what the Holy Spirit says, because he'll speak to you. I also felt this, that some of you, I, I, I'm pleased where we've come to, but I think there are bigger vision offerings yet to take. Hello? Thanks, Tom Seekings on the front row. There are bigger vision offerings. We can break the 200,000. Yeah. Yeah. We can go beyond that. I honestly believe as a church we can. This isn't time to pull back. We're going deep and wide. And I think not only those of us that give 10,000, but there's some of you this time, you need to pray, can you give 20,000? Or maybe more. Others have given more than that before, by the way. But as God, if you've got it, then you know you can pray about it. Let me give you an example. I can't even pray about that one. Because we can't do it. We can't do it. I'm just being honest. That's my wife. Could I be honest? And we can't do that. Because we haven't got it. We have a figure that we planned every time to give. And we give that. And the way we seek to give extra generously above and beyond is in our monthly giving. So we've reduced some of our outgoings in order to double tithe. And we've been double Josh, our son said to us, are you still double tithing? Absolutely. And we're double tithing into here because we believe in the vision. And we believe what we're doing. So I'm not asking any of you to do what I'm or we are not doing. And so that we may not be in a position to give that large sum, we'll give a particular sum, which isn't small, but it won't be the 20. But every month, we will give regularly our double tithe. When will we stop doing that? Probably when Jesus returns or when we die, whichever comes first. Because we're committed to this. For the lot, or maybe retirement, but, which is no time soon, by the way. Oh, no, it's not. Stop it. 
So we are committed to that. So maybe pray not only on what the lump sum, but what you can give regularly towards our deep and wide vision offering 2018. And we'll be saying the same again later in the year because there's so much more to do. Amen? Amen. Now smile at me again and say thank you for sharing that. And we all feel good, don't we? Okay. I believe that's what this series is about. And as I said a few weeks ago, and we, we just sung it beautifully, we're exploring the Apostles' Creed, which is ancient truth, yet always relevant. And I said when I introduced it a few weeks ago, before we had with Toto, we're not saying that the Creed is on the same level as the Bible. It's not the inspired Word of God but it is good to illuminate, to help us understand better. As someone said, like the moon has no light source of its own, it reflects the sun. The creed reflects the light of the Bible. And so that's what we're looking at to fill out our faith and our understanding. And what we're going to do, we've never done this as a church before because we're not liturgical, but we're going to each week when we do this series, unless there's a guest in, we're going to stand together and we're going to recite or repeat the creed that's going to come on the screen. With me? So would you please stand and let's read this behind me, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Come on, let's applaud. I want you to note this first off. It does not say, I know. It begins with, I believe. And the reason I think for that is because we can know a lot of things, but it doesn't necessarily make any difference in our lives. How many of you here know this? I want you to respond to this. A couple of years ago, the recommendation of your five-a-day fruit and vegetables was upgraded to the recommendation of 10 pieces of fruit and vegetable a day because that consumption will dramatically decrease the chance of disease. How many of you know that it's 10 a day you're supposed to have? Just, just raise your hands, keep them up. You're a better educated group than off at the first meeting. Just keep your hands up. How many of you, therefore, are meticulous in making sure you eat five a day? Like ten a day. Ten a, ten a day. How many of you are meticulous in making sure, thank you for the correction, you eat ten a day? Three of you. Would you like to stand? Because we'd like to applaud you. Four of you. Five. Wow. Look at these prime specimens of humanity. Well done. I'm not going to say what I just thought. How many of you know this then? Let's see if the same people. NHS guidelines for adults aged 19 to 64 to stay healthy, adults aged 19 to 65 should try and be active daily, 
and should do at least 150 minutes of moderate aerobic activity, such as cycling or brisk walking every week. How many of you know that? Every week, 150 minutes. You know that's the, come on, keep your hands up. That's what's recommended. How many of you are meticulous about doing, keep your hands up, you make sure you do your 150 minutes every week? Ooh, a few more. This is, this is interesting. All right, keep your hands up. How many of you with your hands up know that also you're meant to do strength exercises two or more days a week that work all the major muscles, legs, hips, back, abdomen, chest, and shoulders, and you do that as well at least twice a week. Keep your hands up. Wow, this is the healthiest congregation we have of the day. <laughs> Another round of applause. Here's my point. What happened to the rest of us? Because there's a lot more who had our hands up. There's quite a few of you that are ignorant, if I may say. But the rest of us that had our hands up put them down. We know that that's what we're told is good for us, but we don't do it. Lots of people know there's a God in heaven. But it makes very little difference to their lives. Some people can even recite the Apostles' Creed. Some are theologically astute. But it doesn't mean they believe because belief, and this is my point, hear this. Belief is an issue of the heart. It's not simply the mind. Belief is birthed in the, mind, in the heart. And that's why I read this scripture to you. It's not, you can't just say Jesus is Lord and that makes you a Christian. This is what has to happen. Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, step one, good step, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing leads to consequences. It's not simply knowledge. Belief means to actions, and belief is an issue of the heart, which, of course, is why Jesus said this. The most important commandment is love. The Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the most important. Love the Lord your God. There are lots of moral religions out there which are all about doing all about attaining. There's a bar which we have to somehow live up to. There are standards to attain. And the sad thing is often what goes with those standards to attain is this sense of guilt that you're not making it, that you've got to do better. Maybe another pilgrimage, maybe another incantation, maybe another Bible study even will bring you closer to God. But Christianity at its core is different. Christianity is, I believe and from that place of belief flows affection and convictions and behavior. So the creed isn't simply about knowledge and theology. It's I believe in my heart. And we make confession with your mouth. Jesus said it like this. Anyone who loves me will obey my commandments. Anyone who loves me will obey my commandments. I love what? Matt Chandler says, I put it in your notes here. He says this, human beings are not primarily thinking beings. We are driven by our loves. You do what you love. We are driven by our affections. Augustine of Hippo, an old church father, said in a similar way. He said this, love God and do what you will. One paraphrase of that goes like this, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved.
makes me realize this. When I sin, it's not because I'm not following the rules. It's because yet the love of God hasn't spread abroad, to use an old authorized version language. It's because the love of God hasn't gripped my heart both for him and through him, to him. It's that I need to love God more because if I love God more, I'll sin less. I'll do what he commands. And that's why, you beautiful people, we talk about deep and wide. We want to go deeper into God because we want to fall more in love with God. We want to know what it is to be wholehearted in our love. And that will produce in us a maturity. Someone said to me yesterday at a wedding, they were telling me something. He said, oh, I can't lie to you. You're the pastor. I said, no, 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 no. You just can't lie. It's not to do with me, the pastor. You just can't lie. And you, you, because you love God, you live a certain way. It's why when Peter was reinstated after he denied Jesus three times, it's why the reinstating process went like this. Peter, do you love me? It's one of the most important questions, and we should ask ourselves that all the time. Do you love him? Do you believe that involves love. The church I was raised in, I, I sang this yesterday um, at, at the wedding. I'm just singing for you, for you today. <laughs> that sounds like I'm doing you a favor. This is no favor. I'm just going to sing you a song I used to sing in Sunday school. It went like this. Jesus, love is very wonderful. Jesus, love is very wonderful. Jesus, love is very wonderful. Oh, wonderful love goes it's so high. You can't get over it so low. You can't get under it so wide. You can't get round it. God's wonderful love. Hey! Fear not, little flock. We will not be singing that anytime soon. In the, But it's a good song. Because it's a good truth. It's so high. There's further to go yet in understanding the love of God. So wide, there's further to go to get round it. So low, so deep, deep and wide. The love of God is amazing. Oh, some people say, it's so simplistic. No, it's not simplistic, but it is simple. It is simple and it's very biblical. It's like the Apostle Paul said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Who will be able or what will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Do you believe in God the Father, God of love? See, the first line of the creed says this, doesn't it? I believe in God the Father Almighty. Now, as soon as we introduce that word, Father, for some of you, it's an issue. Father, God as Father. For some of us, we were raised with just, how can I put it, regular dads. Ordinary dads who we know were not perfect. In fact, we had the revelation of their imperfection when we ourselves entered that state of perfection at about 14 years of age, remember? <laughs> but we've since come to realize they did the best they could and were grateful. My dad was far from perfect, but I am grateful. So relating to God as father is not particularly traumatic because you had a pretty good cat. No, no, he wasn't perfect, but standard. Okay. 
So you relate to God. The problem is, as father, the problem is because you relate to your ordinary dad or you thought he was okay, not perfect, we must be careful not to bring the filter of ordinariness to Father Almighty. Because our God the Father is not just an ordinary dad. He is a God, I know, we'll talk a little about this later, he is a God who comes close, but he's also a God that's above and beyond. He is a God who draws near, but he's also a God who's far above in a, in a category all of his own. He's intimate. Oh, yes, he is. He draws you close, but he's extraordinary too. He's near, but he's far above and beyond. And although he is a father, don't relate to him in the same way of the ordinariness of your own father, because he is Father Almighty. And that's different. That's in a different category than ordinary dads. You with me? Yeah. One of my favorite books uh, that I read to my children as they were growing up was a, guy, a book by a guy called Nick Butterworth. I used to love reading books to them. And his book that I really liked, that we read as often as we could because it really should help to shape my children and their, their life, was this one. It's called My Dad is Brilliant. <laughs> Anyone remember that one? I used to act it out. I can't remember all of it. I, we, I couldn't find it, funnily enough. We, we haven't got it at home. But it was something like, he's as strong as a gorilla. My dad is as strong as a gorilla. And I used to do the, My dad is fantastic on roller skates. And, well, I don't know what I did there, but I'd jump out of bed and do something. He says, he can sing like a pop star. And he used to do that. I don't know why that sounds like a pop star, but I used to, he can sing like a pop star. And he used to do that. And it went on, he's a dab hand at cooking and all these superlatives about how brilliant my dad is. Josh, who's 28 now, he was drumming today. He is the world's greatest drummer and I love him, uh, in my view, which is <laughs> correct. He, he, he thought for years that I used to play football for LFC, Liverpool Football Club. He was persuaded that I played for Liverpool FC. He was shattered. He was mortified. When it was revealed I'd never played for Liverpool, I played in Liverpool for a church league on a Saturday afternoon for a while. He was shattered. And he was 26 when he learned that. <laughs> I'm telling you that because my children got disappointed in me. Of course they did. But I'll tell you this. You will never be disappointed in God. You will never, come on, follow that clap. You should go that way. You will never. Why? Because he's almighty. There's no shadow of turning him and there's no mistakes he's ever made. He's perfect. We will never be disappointed with our Father God. That doesn't mean you won't face tough stuff in life, but even when there's stuff going on and it's hard, it hasn't changed the character of our good God who's almighty. So some of us, we have to get over the ordinariness we've had of our own dads. Others of you, it's on a whole nother level. Your natural earthly father has been Nothing short of horrendous. I've sat with some, and you've talked about your father. And the term father, maybe for you, invokes a picture of an abuser, an aggressor, maybe of a hand going somewhere it shouldn't have gone, or maybe an absent figure, or maybe 
a smell that related to certain words, actions that he undertook. And so all you know by way of relationship with your earthly father was soiled, sullied in some way. And so to view God as your father is really hard. Some of you have said to me, or people down the years have said to me, you know what, I can relate to Jesus. And I can even relate to the Holy Spirit. But Father, can't we leave that bit out? No. You can't. Because you'll never go deep or wide in your faith unless you understand that there's three in one. Now, when I say understand, the Trinity is really hard to understand. But I think we must grapple in some way. And this, if we're to be orthodox, historical, Bible-based Christians, like the Creed helps us with, we must somehow, it's a Trinitarian statement. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're our roots. That's our doctrine. That's what we believe. Then we somehow have to grapple with this Trinity and the Trinitarian concept of three yet one. If the only way you grapple with it is this, I can't understand it, but doesn't it demonstrate that God is a mystery? And isn't it good that God can't be put into the little boxes that we all like to make and say, this is how it is. He's above and beyond. He's, I love that line when we sing it and we state it. He's, he, he, he's three in one. Doesn't something stir in your heart? He's holy, holy, holy. That's how you see the angels worshipping. They're worshipping the Trinity. He's, he's plural. And yet there's no competition and there's no sense of one's better than the other. They're just in total harmony. Some theologians talk about them. They're talking like a, a, a dance, a divine dance. They dance together in perfect harmony. They complement one another. They reveal stuff about each other. They're not trying to veer for, for who's top. They are three, yet one. Mystery, let's worship. So you have to relate somehow and understand God as Father. God as Father. I love when I look at the Trinity. For me, this is how I get inspired by it, is that it's the perfect example of community. And they weren't imperfect or incomplete in any way, but in their completeness, they decided to make mankind, humanity in their image. And this is the incredible thing, perfect, divine society. And they say to us, come in, come in, come and join the family, come and connect, come and dance with us, come and connect to us. And ultimately, God's ultimate goal for all of creation is that there'll be a new heaven and a new earth where we will dwell with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God will be with them. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's God's will for us. So we have to somehow get to grips. What's this Trinity? And part of the Trinity is the Father. The Father creates, the Son redeems, but the Spirit illuminates and equips and all I can say to you, those who have struggled with a poor father, earthly father, is the Father God is unlike any other father you could ever know. His love is greater than anything you've experienced of any parents. His power is infinite and his presence is close. 
and the best revealer of the Father is actually Jesus himself. So it's a circular argument, absolutely. Because if you've seen the, Father, if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. So if we're to understand how to relate to the Father, we have to look at Jesus. So in your notes here, there's two things. I don't know whether they come up behind me, but I realize I didn't say it. First is this, God is the Father Almighty, but he is personal and yet powerful. And the way that we will see the Father fully revealed is through the Son, because Jesus said this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. When Jesus prayed, and the recorded prayers for us in the New Testament, when he prayed, except one prayer, he always referred to God as my Father. The only prayer that he doesn't use that's recorded for us, the term my Father, is when he's on the cross and he quotes a psalm and he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a prayer. And that's because in that moment, he's taking on himself the sins of the world. He's taking the punishment that was due us. So at that moment, it is a penal substitution that's going on. It's not, he's not talking to father in the father-son relationship there. It's as the one who is the son of man taking on the sins of the world in our place. Every other time, Every other time Jesus is recorded, he calls God my father. And if you've been around for a while, you know the Aramaic term that he uses is the term Abba. That's what's in your blanks there. God is Abba, father. And he talks to God in this intimate yet deeply respectful. It's not just daddy, daddy, as though he's intimate. It's also a big word because he's transcendent. It's full of respect, yet it's full of intimacy. And he's saying to us, look, guys, you can relate to God in the same way as Father. I want to read to you from uh, Sam Storms, a, a book I read a number of years ago called God's Passion for You. And he asked this, he says, what is God's greatest gift? What is the most exquisite blessing in the kingdom of God that he's pleased to bestow on us? Is it justification, declared not guilty? Is it forgiveness of sins? Is it perhaps eternal life? What about the Holy Spirit whom God has given to dwell in our hearts? He writes, I don't like comparing God gifts and I certainly don't want to suggest that these blessings are anything but precious and perfect. But I want us to consider what may well be God's second greatest gift next to that of his son dying for our sins. Except for the demonstration of God's love on the cross of Calvary, in my opinion, hear this now, the most marvelous proof of God's love for you and me is this, adoption. That you and I are able through faith in Jesus to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Surely, that means the same blessings, the same benefits, the same resources that were available to the only begotten Son are available to you and me. If you're adopted, you have the same rights. It's not less than. We have the same rights as Jesus. Surely a great blessing. I'm putting your notes here. This scripture from 1 John. John, when he wrote this, was an old man. and I, I like that. 
I like the fact that when you read it, I want you to read it, and I'm going to read it in such a way anyway, that it's full of excitement, it's full of life, because he's never grown bored of this understanding. Listen to what he says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. I think he wrote it shouting. And that is what we are. See the line to understand, that's what we are. Do you know what you are? What you is? What you are? I don't know what it is. You're children of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What about this one in the Gospel of John? You see, we, we don't become children of God naturally. Everyone isn't a child of God. In a sense, by way of creation, you could say people are, but this is more than creation. This is adoption. This is coming into the household of faith. This is coming into the covenant reality. We belong to God. Look what John says here. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. To become a child of God is a supernatural rebirth. I am grateful for the faith of my parents, but I'm not a Christian because they're Christians. I'm a Christian because I called on the name of the Lord. I believed in my heart, confessed with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and I got adopted into the family. Same with you. It's not natural, it's supernatural. We were spiritual orphans, but God has made a way. A number of years ago, I, uh, I visited an orphanage in China. I went with an organization that they specialized in adopting children. It was all above born legal, adopting children that had been orphaned. And the, this charity worked from England, but uh, they did all the whole UK and America. And they helped to adopt children. And I went, and we were in a place called Kashgar, and it was a, a, a couple of hours' flight, actually, from the main city we were staying in, which was called Arumshi. We went to Arumshi, then we flew to this place called Kashgar, middle of China, northern China. And I was nervous because... Um, I was doing a, a, a safeguarding uh, interview a few weeks ago with World Vision. I'm going uh, to see a, a project in Jordan in a few weeks for refugees there. And the lady on the Skype call, it was, said to me, have you got any concerns in going? I said, yeah, I've got two. And number one, when I see children who have been suffering, I cry. I cry. I want to stop it. But I can't. I just cry. She said, oh, you'll be all right. There'll be, be, be probably others crying with you. Okay. I said, well, she goes, what's your second concern? So my second concern is, if I go into places and there's foul smells, I can't help but gag and I'm usually physically sick. Man of power for the hour, me. <laughs> I've done this before. I'm usually sick. Oh, she said. And so she suggested I have a handkerchief with a smell on there I like. Maybe my wife's perfume. Uh, that was good, wasn't it? I didn't like that. Um, what's your perfume again? And I, oh, I just ruined it. Uh, and I was, 
I said, maybe smell it. So I go back to China when I went. I walked in, and the smell hit me in the orphanage. And I'm heaving. I was physically sick. And we walked in, and remember China had this one-child policy? So there were a lot of children that were disabled because if they were born disabled, they abandoned them. So there's these disabled children, and a lot of them were girls because also, if they didn't have a boy and they wanted a boy and it was their first child, they just abandoned the, the child because it was a girl. So I walked in, I've been sick, I'm crying. I went up to a cot, a little girl had a cleft palate, that's all she had. Cleft palate, easy operation here, isn't it? And she was rocking back and forth, she was actually tied to her cot. They didn't have the staff, this was a state-run orphanage. And she hadn't had her nappy changed for hours, and there was excrement all around the cot. And she was in a dreadful state. I, I couldn't, all I could do, because I was physically being sick, was pray God bless you. I didn't know what to do, I felt helpless. We came out of it, and we went, flew back. We were staying in the Holiday Inn. It was brand new, the Holiday Inn in Rumshi. It was nice. Conditions in the hotel, beautiful. Brand new. I think the city has grown a lot since those days even. We came down for a meal. And next to us was a family. And on this table, I could hear them. They were Americans. Mum and dad, little American girl, clearly talking to the mum and dad. And then they had this little Chinese girl. And I leant over and I said, uh, what's going on? You know, hi, my name's Steve, introduce myself, what's going on? And they said, oh, we've just adopted her today. And this little girl, her eyes were wide open. She was dressed in white from head to toe. She did put her in a little white hat, white clothes. In, food, in front of her was food like she'd probably never seen before. And her sister, the American girl, was all excited around her. And I, so I said to the American girl, I said, what's your sister's name? She said, Grace. And I totally lost it. I couldn't eat my food. I couldn't talk. Grace. And I looked and I thought, that's my name. That's my name. It wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be a child of God. It's the grace of God. Not only that, the privilege and rights that that little girl will grow up now in the security of that family or beyond what she could ever imagine in the orphanage that I'd seen just hours before. And I'd then found out that that's how they come to find this baby. Don't know what's happened, but I know she's going to have had a better life than in that orphanage. You know what it was? Grace. And you know why we can stand with our shoulders back? Not because we're arrogant, with our heads held high. Not because we're arrogant, but we're confident in the grace of God. Yeah. And that's different. We're confident that God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. And some of you are sitting here thinking, but I've, do you know what I've done? God, of course, knows what you've done. He's Father Almighty, what you've done. He still sees it and he still forgives. Yeah. 
and he still welcomes you in and he still says you're my child welcome you belong you can call him Abba Father that's our Father two things as I finish for these notes here I would like you to read the Bible through the filter of knowing God as your Father. And I just went to Genesis 1 to 3 and read it again, the creation story, the original story, about how God created. And I read it just through the filter of God's the Father, good Father. And I realized this, look at Genesis 1 3. Go home, read it. Try not to think that you know there's a fall coming, that there's sin. Just read it as it is originally. As it got, the first thing God does is he says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. If you get that down to its most basic form, <laughs> it's go and have sex. It's more than that, but it's in there. Talking to a husband and wife, by the way, Adam and Eve, just to make sure. Go and have sex. That's the first thing he says. It's all gone quiet on me now. But the, 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 that's, that's the core of it. We wouldn't be here if they hadn't. How many billion people in the world? There's been a lot of sex going on. Hello? Some of you are sitting back in your seats now. Oh, I'm not sure. That was the original command. Now, fruitfulness is more than sex. So you can be fruitful without sex. All right? But it's in there because God's good. The second thing he says to them is, see all these trees, see all these bushes, because the original... Adam and Eve were vegetarians. So you can't get around that. Whatever you think of it. They were vegetarians. Eat anything you like except one. Now, we all fixate on the one. How many others talk about ten a day? There's so much more fruit, lavish, beautiful fruit and vegetables available. Go on, eat. So God's first two commands, have sex, be fruitful. Let's make them four then. Have sex, be fruitful, eat a lot. Hello? <laughs> And then the next one, when you see, after that, he says, there's the next command, rule and subdue. Do you know what rule and subdue means? Go and garden. Go and bring order to chaos. Go and keep it beautiful. Go and invent. Go and paint. Go and film. Go and do software. Go and do a can. Fly a plane. Go on. Go and enjoy and teach. Go and learn. Go and educate. Go and make the, those that are sick healthy. Go and learn the keyboards. Go and just go and rule and subdue. Go and start businesses because this is what it's about. Hello? Yeah. So God's so good. He says, be fruitful and multiply. I won't say sex again. Go, go fruitful and multiply. I won't say sex again. <laughs> be fruitful and multiply. I'll stop. All right. Go on, increase. Eat what you like from fruit and veg around you. Go on, enjoy it. And rule the world wherever you go. Raising a family is ruling and subduing. Doing accounts is ruling and subduing. Being a parent is ruling and subduing. Making decisions. Have you got the point what I'm saying? What, what else can I say? I don't know what you all do, but whatever you do, you're ruling and subduing. Go and learn about business, Dave Harvey. Well, Dave Barry, whatever your name is, go and rule and subdue. That's what we were made for. God is good. And the last blank that I've got here is really quick. 
Read the whole of the Bible through the filter of what God's like as a father. One of my favorite stories, I'm sure for many years, is the story that's often called the prodigal son. Read that story through the filter of a prodigal God. Prodigal means lavish, extravagant, generous. Read it like that. And you see it in a totally different way because it's not all about the son or the sons. It's actually about the father. And when the son comes to the father, effectively he says this, I wish you were dead, dad. Can I have my inheritance now? The father gives it to him. Then he goes away and he has wine, women and song, whatever he has and does, we don't know, ends up in a pigsty. He thinks, if I could just go back and be a servant in my father's house, it's better than this. And the father the whole time has been waiting for the return of the son. He's watching the, the hillside, the mountainside. Is he coming back? And when he sees him, he does what a guy in that place, in that culture should not have done. He lifts up his skirts and he runs to meet his son. Why? Probably to protect him because the mob may have got him because here comes back that disrespectful son who wished his dad was dead. And the son doesn't keep him at arm's distance. He doesn't sulk with him. I only had one argument with my dad in the last 20 years of his life and we both sulked for a week after it. And then we both hugged each other and said, weren't we silly? This guy, this guy didn't sulk. He didn't say, oh, yeah, prove yourself. He ran to him. He kissed him on his neck. He gave him sandals. He gave him a ring. This was saying, you are now in the family. You're not going to be just a servant in my house because you're my son. And whatever you've done and wherever you've been, you'll always be my son. And I'm father. And he killed the fatted calf. And they had a celebration. And then the older son who maybe represents a legalistic Christian because they're around. I was raised with them. He said, but I pray and I do all the good stuff that I'm meant to do. And I, why, why is there no party for me? He didn't even feel a goat. I'm not coming to the party. This son of yours, excuse me, he's not a son of yours. He's your brother. Maybe you should have gone out looking for him, hey? Because your brother was lost and now he's found. And the father loves him just as much and says, everything I have, son's yours. Come on. Come on. What a father. What a prodigal God. Oh, and you want proof of his might? Consider all of creation. He's father almighty. And this is exhibit A, creation. I'm going to show you a little clip which is about creation, but the how creation is meant to stir. It's only two minutes long. Stir us towards our worship of God because he really is a good, good father. Take a look.